Well, thank you, Jane. There was some strength and energy there. Good morning. It's good to be together. As God's people were on a journey, Easter is so significant that it's the sort of thing we ought not to just show up, have Easter, and go on with life. And so it's been the tradition of believers across cultures, across centuries, to use a 40-day period leading up to Easter to reflect on all that it took for our hope and salvation. Lent is a time to consider who Jesus is, the cost of our salvation that he willingly paid, and reflect on our desperate need for Savior. So we've got a particular Lenten call to worship. Uh, I'll read these meditations on Jesus, and then if you would respond, uh, let us proceed. Jesus Christ, born in humility, you lived among us, you healed the sick, you shared the good news to the poor, and you proclaimed freedom to the prisoner. We worship you, Lord. Jesus Christ, gentle and humble of heart, you taught us how to serve and to love others. You call to yourself all who are weary and burdened. We worship you, Lord. Jesus Christ, full of patience and goodness, you were betrayed and denied, yet you showed forgiveness to the very end. We worship you, Lord. Jesus Christ, innocent, you graciously took our sins from us. You willingly accepted death to free us from that death. You conquered evil and hatred. We worship you, Lord. Jesus Christ, risen and reigning King eternal, you are alive at the Father's side. You prepare a place for us and you intercede on our behalf. We worship you, Lord. Hymn number 695, a Wesleyan hymn reflecting on the gospel, And Can It Be That I Should Gain, as you're able, let's stand and sing to God's glory.
Amen. And have a seat if you would. Always a joy to welcome uh, everyone here that's joined us on site for worship this day. As I say from time to time, you're here in answer to my prayer. I see your face as God's answer to the prayer I prayed this week as I prepared and focused. Lord, bring those that you would want to be a part of this moment. And so here we are. God is good. And for those who will be joining us online, either by live stream or across uh, in our recorded version, we're very thankful that you open your space and time to be a part of this and that God can reach across time and space and include us in the hope of his grace. Now, part of our service this morning will include communion. Um, and so I encourage those of you online, take a moment and prepare the elements so we're ready for that. Uh, later on, I'll extend the invitation of Jesus to this table. It's here in the CRC. I'm a Presbyterian minister, but this is the table of Jesus. And so we come on his terms at his invitation in this time. Uh, here at Heart Awake for families, we encourage you to navigate that time with your children, help interpret to them uh, what's going on. I'll be uh, free, contact me this week if you'd like help with that kind of thing. But we will be a part of all that God has for us this day. Now, after the service, we'll have coffee here in the library, a time to fellowship, and at 10.30, I will be doing my usual kind of question and answer, an opportunity for you to ask comments, make comments, ask questions, that sort of thing. So I'm, I'm always available with that. And this morning, I want to kind of highlight, I trust all of you were able to get a bulletin this morning, our handy-dandy bulletin. You can take it home. Um, a lot of information in here on the front. You see our upcoming Easter services. Wednesday will have, or Sunday, uh, this summer, we will have our Adventure Week, which is a kids' ministry. We'll need folks to staff that and be a part of things. On the back, intercessory needs and a full um, kind of breakdown follow up for our feeding. Uh, feed my starving children. An amazing time that we gather as a community, all three of our worship services, uh, several other churches. So, uh, and what we do is assemble food and meals to go out across the world. So let me just catch us up and celebrate some of that. We've got a video and I'll let you see some of the things that happen.
pretty amazing stuff. And I wanted you to see some of the faces. Uh, ministry here is done by people. And here's, I think, our youngest two. And this is our oldest. Mary Jo Pohl was able to find a way to serve and to help and do things. We had folks who helped from their home who couldn't even get out. We also opened up a new family portrait booth for this so that families can gather. Uh, Chris, I'm going to save that one with the hairnet. Um, so God does a lot of good things, and that's because our ministry and vision here is to invite everyone. And friends, everyone includes people who are not yet here. This is a vision that includes people that are waiting and wondering in their home. We want to join, invite everyone to join the journey of being found in, formed by, and following Christ. I wasn't able to be here on Saturday, so I found a way to kind of help on Friday. Other folks prayed because we certainly needed that. Uh, ministry is done by people, and we invite each of you to find a way and to be in a place. This is a, something I'm very excited to celebrate because it's what happens. And this is the way we want to continue into the future. Next Sunday evening at 6.30, uh, we'll gather here the Rehoboth uh, Christian School in New Mexico among the Navajo Nation has been a relationship that this church and the CRC has had for decades. Uh, many, many teachers have gone from Holland to there and served. Their high school choir will be here in the evening for a choir uh, concert. I still need about four to six folks who would be willing to help serve food. Just make sure they get the food we provide for a dinner and are welcomed. If you would like to do that, see me uh, after the service or Christi call Christine in the office through the week. We can, again, uh, you don't have to preach, but if you can smile and make sure somebody gets a sandwich, you can be a part of what God is doing. That's the way ministry works. It's not about the hired guns. I'm called to equip and lead and guide. But ministry happens through folks like you, right where you are. We'll include that in the prayer time. So, so be aware, that's where God leads us. We want to confess our faith using words of those who've gone before us. The Heidelberg Catechism, Catechism and a wonderful expression of what the Bible teaches us to believe. And so question number 43, as we focus on the cross and what it means. The question is this, what further benefit do we receive from Christ's sacrifice and death on the cross? By Christ's power, our old selves are crucified, put to death, and buried with him, so that the evil desires of the flesh may no longer rule us, but that instead we may offer ourselves as a sacrifice of gratitude to him. Our next hymn, number 167, let's stand and sing as you're able, Beneath the Cross of Jesus.
Amen. And have a seat if you would. Um, I want to lead us into a time of prayer, and after the prayer and the Lord's Prayer that we do together, we'll then dismiss kids to um, uh, age-graded ministry, children's ministries downstairs during the rest of the service. I love a particular line, a couplet from our previous hymn. And from my contrite heart with tears, two wonders I confess. I'm taken by that. Two wonders I confess. The wonders of his glorious love and my unworthiness. Now, which of those is more important? I want to tell you, just as a running back in the NFL needs a left leg and a right leg to make the cut, to make the dash, to make the run, those two principles, God's glorious love and my unworthiness, work together as an expression of the gospel to bring hope and to joy. Let's turn to the Father and pray. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you that by your grace, you have indeed rescued us. You've saved us from ourselves, broken and sinful that we are. And you've given us a hope of your ongoing work until that day when you complete the fullness of Christ in us. Thank you that you've called us to join the journey, to invite others to do that. And to live day by day in the power of the Holy Spirit and what it means to be found in and formed by and following Jesus Christ. Help us to be faithful day by day, honest about our need, hopeful about your grace, committed step by step. Lead and guide us. We thank you, Father, that you've not left us as orphans. You've given each of us by your grace and through our faith the presence of your Holy Spirit, and that the Holy Spirit is at work to bring reconciliation and bind us together in relationships that show forth as the church of Jesus Christ, pointing to him. We pray for Hardawike Ministries, that umbrella organization that extends the kingdom work in this place and to the other ends of the earth. We pray for Pastor Aaron as he'll preach in Watershed for Fusion, where Pastor JB will be preaching your gospel right next door, and for Pastor Florencio and Mission. Again, a, a separate church, but close in our hearts as Florencio preaches right from where I stand in Spanish language in just a few hours. Father, extend the work of your kingdom to the lives and transformation of this broken planet. We thank you for the chance to be a part of the family that you are making called Celebration, that you take us with the wide variety of ages and backgrounds, of gifts, of skills, of abilities, and that you bring us together and lead us in such a way that people can see the footprint of Jesus, as it were, the work of Jesus as we worship, as we serve, as we live our lives through the course of the week. Father, thank you that you call us to the place of prayer. And in that prayer, you meet us, you speak to us, you lead us, and you call us to join Jesus in intercession. I'm just going to take a, a brief moment. If you came with a prayer need for yourself or for another person, if there's a uh, need of the kingdom of God that you know of, just take a silent moment and lift that to the Lord. Picture, if you will, a hundred prayers being lifted to God in this moment.
Father, may our prayer be, as it were, uh, an incense that rises to your throne and brings you joy. Release your grace and bring your answer. Father, we pray each week in a cycle for various levels, as it were, of authority in our lives. Thank you that you've created a world where authority has been instituted in order to serve and to protect. And so this week we pray for the Heart of White Council as they meet on Monday, that you'd help them hear your voice and bring the mind of Christ to us as a congregation. Help us to, uh, lead, to lead from the council. Help us to work together as your people to see the kingdom of God go forward. Father, I thank you for the fruit we see being born, whether it's Neighbors Plus or our children's ministry, whether it's each gathering for worship, the preparation through the week, the visitation of people, the relationships that uh, bear fruit. Thank you that in all things, you're making provision, uh, provision as you gather your people to your good work. We remember that your ministry goes to the utter ends of the earth and is for all people. And so we pray for a heart awake supported uh, missionary establishing a medical clinic in a predominantly Muslim country, providing medical care, evangelism, and discipling. Even as we can't pray by them publicly by name, we pray that your spirit would anoint and guide that ministry. Father, we know too that this Wednesday night, Ramadan begins, a, a month of spiritual pursuit and fasting for our Muslim neighbors. Thank you for the way we've seen over years as we pray through Ramadan that you are moving many Muslim background people to faith in Christ, baptism, belief, transformation. We know that there's coming a day when every knee shall bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We pray for this month of spiritual uh, pursuit and heightened awareness for our Muslim neighbors, that they might uh, hear the call of the Good Shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray too that in your mercy, you would work in us a yearning and a hunger to know you, to delve into your scripture, to pray, to be quick to repent, so bind us together now as we pray with one voice and with one heart the prayer you taught us using these words and saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen and amen. At this point, I want to release, head to the back with Miss Janet. She's back there waving to everybody, say, come. The Pied Piper of our children's ministry and celebration. Luke, you want to head back there, buddy? Oh, I see. Miss Mary Lynn is taking care of her bud. <laughs> Miss Janet has you back there. Uh, they'll be downstairs in an age-graded ministry for them. Uh, perfect. We thank you for that. Um, 
through the course starting in September until uh, after Easter, about May, we're preaching through the scriptures using a kind of edited edition of the New International Version called The Story. And we've spent, we've got a four-week segment, we're in week number three of four, focused on the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, today we'll be looking at Luke, and I've got particular um, passage that we want to do from that. But I want to highlight for you um, some things about Luke in the background. If you're reading through the story, this past week would have been chapter 24, and you see it's focused on the ministry of Jesus looking through all four Gospels. I'll focus on Luke, but that's where we are together in that reading. What I want to give you is some background to the Gospel of Luke. It's a very unique and distinct Gospel. Again, it tells the true story of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I've talked about how each one kind of has a perspective. Here's Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John give us a very nuanced and full, rich view of who Jesus is. Luke is unique because he was a missionary companion with Paul. In Acts 16.10, we read, after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia. Luke traveled with Paul. They were friends. They did ministry together. Luke and Paul have a deep connection. And indeed, the second volume of Luke's work, Acts, Luke Acts, written by the same guy to the same um, audience, Luke Acts holds this story of Luke as an eyewitness. And eyewitness is really key to understanding Luke, his gospel. He writes in the very beginning of this gospel, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, Since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. It's interesting, friends. He pursues an eyewitness account. He gathers eyewitnesses. He carefully investigates to know the truth. I'm not there, but Luke was. He pursued and got the truth. He puts together an orderly account so that we might know the certainty. Now, it's interesting. That's a legal term. That's why I've chosen this eyewitness deposition. He wanted to get word from the people who saw it. Luke is the only one of the gospel that has Mary's experience with the angel and her delivery of the Lord Jesus. Luke would have talked to Mary, and rightly so. Luke was different from the other people who wrote Gospels, Matthew and Mark and John, in that he was Greek by background. That means Luke was the only writer of the Gospel who didn't have childhood memories of going to the temple with his family, of being involved in Passover. Now, he would learn of those things, and they would shape his love for Jesus. But this was not his background. He was an outsider that God brought in. And the other thing that really struck me in my study this week is he was a physician by training and vocation. Now, that means 
he would have taken the Hippocratic Oath. I don't want to get too far in the weeds on this, but it became a stark example to me of the difference between Luke's time and our time. You see, about 400 BC, the Greeks, particularly in Athens, began to put some substance to what it means to be a physician and to train. And they, Hippocrates, theoretically, was the person who put together an oath that would guide doctors in their work. It began with subservience to Apollo, the god that they knew, the transcendent deity. The phrase, um, first do no harm, is found in that oath. A number of other interesting things that I won't touch were a part of that oath. They were a commitment and a guide to what it meant to practice medicine. Luke would have taken that. When he came to faith in Christ, no doubt the transcendent marker for his medical practice would have become Jesus, the expression of God in the Bible. That's certainly the way it was in Western tradition. Indeed, when people from Muslim countries began to train in Western medicine and use the Hipp Hippocratic Oath, they would swear by Allah. And so there was this transcendent aspect Little did I know how much things have changed in the United States today. I found a um, paper called Swear by Thy Gracious Self, North American Medical Oath-Taking in 2014 and 15. Three scholars, one is a doctor from um, Pine Rest actually, so there's a close connection, looked at 150 of the medical oaths that graduates take there's 153 medical schools in Canada and the United States. They looked at 150 of the oaths. And I'll just read this portion of the paper. This is a research paper that ugh, would kill you. That killed me. But they write in the synopsis, since 2000, student written oaths became more popular and new themes such as self-care and professionalism were identified in the oaths for the very first time. So 24 centuries of Western civilization and something new shows up in 2015. However, as was identified by a previous study in the year 2000, the oath's contents are varied and even conflicting at times, raising questions as to whether medicine is being taught or practiced with a coherent ethical worldview. See, part of what's gone on, Hippocrates, Luke, the doctors of the first 20 centuries, whether Christian or Muslim even, recognized that there was a transcendent marker that they swore to live up to. Now we live in a world that's marked by the imminent frame. You've heard me talk about that where it's all cause and effect of physics or psychology or sociology. There's nothing transcendent or spiritual. So now we're concerned not with training doctors to a standard, but equipping them to express themselves. And that is one of the deep changes in how we view the world. And so we've got to remember, Luke sees a transcendent accountability when he encounters Jesus and when he practices medicine and when he records these eyewitness things. So with that in mind, let's um, 
hear the word of God. I'll read one uh, passage, Luke 19. This is a key story, I think, from Luke's gospel, Luke 19. Hear the word of God. Now Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Now, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus came down at once and he welcomed Jesus gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord Jesus, look, Lord, Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Luke, the physician, carefully pursued eyewitnesses to this moment, said it in his orderly account, all under the anointing and guidance of your Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, that you have preserved these texts across the centuries so that now, uh, by your grace, we can open them and translate and study and read and consider. Holy Spirit, I pray you would complete the circle of your task in illuminating our hearts and minds to receive your word. Guard your people from my brokenness, but may I, like Luke, point to something greater than myself, the one who rescues us, the Lord Jesus, who gives us his grace. For we make our prayer in his name and all of God's people sit together, amen? And amen. Well, Zacchaeus is a picture of a guy who just doesn't measure up. You see that, first of all, in his stature. He's a short guy. And I've got to laugh. My colleague, six foot eight Aaron, is over in Watershed and he wants them all to sing Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. For all of you who've been in vacation Bible school. So just picture. Skinny, six foot eight Aaron, speaking of a short statured wee little man. That's Zacchaeus. He's the sort of guy whose first impression was forgettable. He was easily pushed around. You can picture him bullied in middle school. He could hardly influence the group. Not a man of great stature, but there's something deeper. Zacchaeus has a bigger problem than just being physically short. He's a person short of character. Now, we might miss it, this bigger problem, but it says in Luke 19, 2, that this man Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector and, as if that's not bad enough, and he was wealthy. What that means is that he had sold out his people and he worked for the oppressive Roman government and he made a lot of money doing it. 
Money that came straight from the pockets of his neighbors. When he showed up at a neighborhood block party, folks were thinking, I would have more money if it wasn't for him. Yeah, he had problems, short of stature, short of character, short of friends, short of encouragement. Indeed, he kind of looks like a classic case of overcompensating, acting out to cover his insecurities. I'm a short guy. I can't see this guy I want to see. I'm going to climb a tree. I'm going to do what it takes. I'm impressive in a crew. I'm going to be the chief tax collector, not just a tax collector, mind you the chief tax collector. As I read and do um, Lectio Divina, kind of pray through, put myself in this text, Zacchaeus reminds me of this acting out sort of guy, a guy who's trying to deal with his inner orphan voice. Now, I don't know about you, but I know as I've navigated the pathways of my own heart, and indeed as I've listened and talked, with a lot of people over the course of time. It's like each one of us has that inner orphan voice that points out and highlights those things we don't measure up to. Where we're falling short. Oh, my dad expected this and I was only that. Oh, if I had focused, I could have been this, but I was only that. Oh, my friend so-and-so can do this, but I can only do that. What is that orphan voice in your life? My guess is that we hear it, it drives us, we respond. Zacchaeus, a man trying to deal with his inner orphan voice, and he hears about this person, Jesus. Now, Jesus will come surrounded by the crowd in the hubbub, and he'll stop right with Zacchaeus in the tree, and he'll say, Zacchaeus, come down from the tree. Come down from the tree. Zacchaeus wanted to know something about this Jesus guy. Notice Zacchaeus wasn't interested in rediscovering his Jewish heritage. He was not interested in the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the scribes. He knew enough about those people that he didn't want to know anything more. You know that kind of feeling. Oh, I don't even want to give him the time of day. But Jesus was somehow different. Zacchaeus had heard the word on the street. Jesus stuck it to the Pharisees. Yo. He showed these people to be the hypocrites that everyone knew they were. Jesus had respect but no fear of the Romans. There was talk of healings, challenging sermons. Jesus treated people like Well, like people. There was something about what Zacchaeus was hearing about Jesus that made Zacchaeus want to find about Jesus for himself. I'll climb a tree. I'll do what it takes to find out the real story. He wanted to see who Jesus was. I want to tell you something, friends. It's reasonable to guess that Zacchaeus may have even heard about an earlier time when Jesus had talked about people like himself. A few chapters earlier, in Luke 15, we read this. Now, the tax collectors and sinners, do you hear that crowd? We're all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, oh, okay, muttered. Another muttering. This man welcomes sinners and 
eats with them. Maybe Zacchaeus wasn't a part of that crowd, but it's reasonable to assume that at least he'd heard about what Jesus said from his subcontractor friends who were there. In response to the muttering of the Pharisees, Jesus in Luke 15 had told several stories about lost things, a lost sheep and a shepherd who would risk his life to find the lost one, even when his 99 were safe, a lost coin, and a woman who would who would pursue it until she found it. But then that story about a man who had two sons. We know this story as the prodigal son, but it's really about two sons who are far from their own father, just far from him in different ways. One far because he was pursuing his own self-identified desires. The other who was distant from the father because he was trying to uh, be pleasing by way of conformity. Friends, there's a connection between Zacchaeus and that story of the prodigal son. There's what I would call the prodigal pattern. In Luke 15, the prodigal, the younger son, who tries the route of self-discovery, the older brother, who stays home and through obedience and conformity, becomes just as far from the father. Thankfully, the father is reaching out to them both. In Luke 19, we see Zacchaeus who's trying to compensate and make something of himself to gather money when he doesn't have height. And then there's that crowd that knows that sort of person doesn't belong. And into the midst of that, Jesus walks. It's fascinating to me. These two stories are connected by language cue, this word muttered. It's only used twice in the Greek in the whole New Testament. Luke 15 and Luke 19. It's the response of these people when they see Jesus reaching out, when they hear a story about someone reaching out beyond the comfort zone. You see, the crowd in Luke 19, the Pharisees and Sadducees in Luke 15 think that they're somehow different and that the others don't belong. But I want to tell you something. There's something that every person you will ever meet shares with you. Sin and its consequences. There's a universal human equalizer. Three things, really. We can dig at it a little more in depth, and I've touched them before, so I'll just move quickly. The first is the imago dei in the Latin image of God, as we translate it. Every person you will ever meet is a reflection of the image of God. Who do you hate most? You need to remember, they are a reflection of the image of God. If Vladimir Putin were to walk through the door in the back and come right up here to the front for whatever else I might want to do to him, and there's a list, there would be a reflection of the image of God. Our ministry house, where our office was in New Orleans, the first summer we lived in uh, that neighborhood, was about three doors down from what was called a shooting gallery. And for the first time in my life, I got to see on a daily basis heroin users and the consequences of that abuse. And I remember having to come to grips by about August of watching the destruction of those drugs to remember those people were created in the image of God. They might be different than me. They might be destroying their life. 
Every person you will ever meet is an expression of the image of God. That's a human equalizer. We're all the same there. We're all touched by sin or by brokenness. And by that, I mean the good things I wish to do, I can't always do them. And the bad things I want to avoid sometimes, I just redefine them as acceptable. You know how that goes. If we were to sit and reflect deeply, every one of us has been in those moments where we are just angry about something and our first response is to justify ourselves. Well, if they didn't fill in the blank, rather than see that anger as the sin that it is, I justify it, cultivated. Come on, little baby anger. Grow up into unforgiveness. Maybe one day you'll be bitterness. Friends, every one of us carries the imprint not only of God, but of our brokenness. And that's why the good news this morning as we come to the table is this, that just as universal is the invitation of the gospel to Zacchaeus, to Pharisees, to Jews, to Greeks, to men, to women, to members of every ethnic group on every continent through all of history. The gospel is God reaching to his broken, lost creation saying, I myself will make a way. Come and receive. I want to tell you something. The gospel makes us all like Zacchaeus out to be unlikely converts. Part of the rub for the crowd was the idea of a guy like that following Jesus. It was the same in Luke 15, where for the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the idea of those tax collectors and sinners, how could they be one of God's people? The gospel makes us all unlikely converts. Friends, Zacchaeus was busy trying to be me and to be my true me, to overcompensate, to do what it took to make something of himself. But the gospel invited him to give his life to Jesus. And that's what happens. Jesus enters in and says, come, I need to have a relationship with you. Let's go eat. Zacchaeus is so changed that he begins to live differently. Make sure you get the order. Zacchaeus didn't do justice and then have a relationship with God. He didn't give the money so that then he could be a child of Abraham. Zacchaeus was invited welcomed and loved. And that transforming power meant that the, the ministry of money in his heart was no longer the strength that it had been. But you see, the crowd demands, you need to be like us. You need to fit. You need to be one of us. Again, the gospel just breaks into this. Jesus saying, my life for yours, I will make you like me. Every one of us here this day touched, a reflection of the image of God, touched by brokenness, but invited to be made not like our best self, but to be made like him, an expression of his grace. So unique and powerful that no one of us can be all of that. It takes all of us together. The gospel makes us all unlikely converts. I've talked with a number of you about a recent movie 
And I loved how it was a real film. It was not a church event at a movie theater like the Billy Graham movies I remember back in the day. It's a real film called The Jesus Revolution. And it was about real people in a real time in recent history. So real, in, a, in fact, that I happened to live through it. In a sense, that film was the story of my high school and college years, Mary Lynn and I. Now, there were some differences. I was in North Carolina. This film was in Southern California. And without going into a lot of detail, Southern California and North Carolina are different. And I'll be quick to say the whole hippie movement sort of thing was about drugs and sex and rock and roll. And I'm thankful I never got into the drugs. I never got into the hippie sex. But yeah, I did the rock and roll thing. I was there. This was a film about my high school years. And there's a, a scene in that film where the hippie preacher meets the confused, hurting high school student in the rain. And that student, Greg, Greg Larry is his name. He's a pastor, even still. Greg was suffering from what we used to call back in the day a bad trip, where he'd taken LSD and first his mind is expanded, and then he's overcome. And I remember in high school talking friends down from bad trips. I saw that scene and said, oh yeah, that's like Terry. That's like this person and that person. So I'm watching this film and I'm, I'm seeing this thing. And in a sense, one of the conflicts, and it's a great, all three of the characters are flawed people. It's like they're real. No angels, just people. It's like Woodstock comes to church. This hippie Jesus freak shows up and the church doesn't know what to do. Well, that's what it was like at Calvary Chapel, but it was also what it was like at St. Giles Presbyterian Church. You know, the one there on Emerywood Drive in Charlotte, North Carolina? Suddenly, word got out that that church was open to the youth culture, and I showed up with a guitar and no shoes, and they first said, Bill, open your Bible. Never, ever worried about my hair. I think they knew it would fall out sooner or later anyhow. But there we were, Calvary Chapel, St. Giles Presbyterian Church. What will you do with these people? Will you force them to be like us, like the crowd? I'm thankful their answer was no. But it's also quite true they didn't just say, come and do what you want. I am so thankful that St. Giles Presbyterian Church and the Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, never once said to the Woodstock generation, sure, come on in with your drugs and your self-destructive promiscuity. Do you know at Woodstock, there was no AIDS? That was something that came as a consequence of that kind of behavior. And St. Giles told us, come to Jesus, but live your life in light of Jesus. That means put your drugs away. That means here's God's calling for your sexuality. I'm so thankful they never worried about my bare feet. They tolerated my amplifier, but they pointed me to Jesus. 
and a Jesus who would be Lord of every aspect of my life. It took that to get me here. You have no idea what the elders at St. Giles Presbyterian Church had to put up with. You're the benefactor of their love and of their pointing me to Jesus. And so the question is for us, will we have a message of the gospel for those who are just trying to be their true self? To say instead, you can be a deeply loved, fully adopted child of the great creator king. Or will we build up walls that say, until you're like me, stay away. Whether it's two sons who are far from God just in different ways, whether it's Zacchaeus or the crowd, Jesus is reaching out and saying, I love you. Come, let my life be your life. That's the good news. You see, friends, we're all unlikely converts, just in different ways. There's a promise that Luke records in his book, Acts. It's from the preaching of Peter. And he says this, the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. God doesn't call us to self-fulfillment. He calls us to Jesus transformation. And nothing could be more fulfilling. You see, when you got the coal car following the locomotive, it works. He's calling, and he calls us to this table this day. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that... I thank you that you have welcomed ragamuffins like each one of us. And we come with great hope from the image of God. We come with deep brokenness from a world of sin. And yet we come together to a table that you have called us to, that you have prepared, and that is our hope. Thank you that like Zacchaeus and Saul, who would become Paul, like Lonnie and Chuck and Greg in the movie, your doors are open to be more than we could ever imagine ourselves and to bring to the world a love that's beyond our imagining. Help us to see at the cross our hope and your promise when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. Amen and amen. Familiar words, perhaps a new tune, but let's stand and sing two verses as we prepare for communion.
it, please. Question number 80 in the Heidelberg Catechism draws our focus to the Lord's Supper. Let us confess these words together. I've set up just the answer. The Lord's Supper declares to us that all our sins are completely forgiven through the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which he himself accomplished on the cross for us all. It also declares to us that the Holy Spirit grafts us into Christ, who with his true body is now in heaven at the right hand of the Father, where he wants us to worship him. There we worship. There is our hope. For as Paul will write to the church in Corinth, he received from the Lord what he also passed on to them, and so I to you. That on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. It was the Passover bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup. And after giving thanks, he said, This cup is now a new covenant made not in the blood of a Passover lamb, but in the blood of the true and perfect Savior, his name, Jesus. And so Paul writes, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Friends, this is the table of Jesus, set on his terms by him as he is, and he extends the invitation to those who will come on his terms. His terms, not on your performance, on your behavior, but on your recognition that there is only one Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You're here not because you performed and so you have access. You're here because you are loved and receive that love and out of that transformation will then go and live. Do you see that difference? We come by the grace of Jesus, and he invites us, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Let's pray. O Lord, our God and Father, we give you thanks for these very simple things, this cup and this bread, and thank you that by the promise of your word and the presence of your Holy Spirit, you will meet us here, not physically, but just as real, because it will be the reality of the Spirit. And so search our hearts, help us to know our deep need, but plant as well the seed of your hope, that grace that will bear fruit over time so that people might see the wonder of the God who rescues through the fruit of his people who are rescued. Thank you for your promise. Thank you for your presence. Meet us here, we pray, as we remember your son his death, and his resurrection. This we pray in his name. And all of God's people said together, amen, amen. Now let me ask those who will be um, sharing the elements if they'd come forward uh, and get those. We'll ask you to come row by row down the center aisle to take a piece of the bread, dip it into the cup, and then to exit that way. Is there another couple? that will be a part of this. I need somebody to just walk up then and do this.
thank you. Here we. <laughs> I appreciate your willingness, and we'll watch you function with my training. <laughs> Friends, we are people who need Jesus. It's the body of Christ broken for you, and it's the blood of Christ broken for you. Come and receive this day.
as folks are being seated, find their way back. Let's take just a moment and pray. Father, um, move in us that we might receive love, a love greater than we ever asked or imagined. For the scripture says that we love because you first loved us. So move upon us and where our habits and background are about deserving, move deep in our hearts that you might teach us what it means to live by receiving and giving, receiving and giving, receiving and giving. In this moment, we receive. Surprise us this upcoming week with the ways you'll call us to give. Remind us of this moment when by your grace, we whisper to you, okay, if you want me to, I'll try that. Thank you, that, Lord, that you broke down the barrier of sin, that you might invite those who bear your image to come to redemption and transformation. Thank you for this moment and for your presence. We look at the table and yet we remember the cross and we see that your head, your hands, your feet, we see from them sorrow and love flow mingled down. Stand in one who created you and redeemed you now sends you. Be a part of his adventure. This benediction that goes back centuries upon the people of God, number six. And now may the Lord and no other, I'd put in parentheses, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you shalom.